spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. It's August 24th, 1217, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Ariel, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. So it was on this day that Eustace the monk, who was one of the most hated men in England at the time, met a pretty grisly end at a naval battle between the English and the French that was known as the Battle of Sandwich. And Eustace was standing on the deck of his ship and he was swinging his oar wildly around trying to fend off his English adversaries. And according to historical accounts that I found, he was doing pretty well at it. He smashed a few people overboard and cracked a few skulls and stuff. And if you're thinking, that sounds odd for a monk, that's because... (laughs) The story of Eustace the monk and how he got to that place on the ship is in itself unconventional, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. But maybe just before we get to the how he became a monk, we should probably just finish what was going on with the oar and the and the skull cracking, which was that he was sort of overwhelmed and he tried to escape and then he tried to bribe his way out of the situation, but he was surrounded, dragged up on deck and then decapitated. Uh, and his severed head was fixed on a spear um, and they then paraded around the, the south of England to reassure villagers that this terrifying pirate and, yes, former monk was now really very dead. But Eustace had a pretty standard start in life. Nothing that really presages a life of piracy. He was a younger son of a wealthy family born near Boulogne in France. And then it all went slightly weird because he claimed he went to Toledo in Spain and studied black magic, which gave him special powers, supposedly including invisibility, which his enemies throughout his whole life continued to believe that he could make himself invisible. Although, as we know from the story Arian told up top, he was not able to make himself invisible (laughs) at a crucial moment. No, but there are elements of his story that are fantastical and romantic poetry was written about him and stuff and people compared him to like the French Robin Hood but the key difference is he definitely lived unlike Robin Hood (laughs) and he did go to Toledo in Spain and study black magic that was a thing and it's because apparently it was a Muslim city back then a Moorish city and there was an association between the Arabic alphabet and magical talismans. Mm. So he just knew the Arabic alphabet. <laughs> <laughs> In reality. But then it's not entirely clear why he shifted from the occult into the most central core kind of Christianity that you could possibly do. But he signed up with this monastery of Benedictine monks near Calais. Uh, but evidently, right from the get-go, his heart really was not in it at all. And he encouraged the brothers to eat when they should be fasting and to curse when they should have been praying. Uh, And my favourite one, to fart in the cloisters, uh, which, (laughs) frankly, (laughs) has got to be the best place to fart. But he did not last long in the monastery. Supposedly, he left to avenge his father's murder. Although, according to a relatively contemporary source, a few decades after his death, the resulting duel was conducted rather unheroically through surrogates uh, and Eustace's representative lost and by the rules of trial by combat as I'm sure you're all intimately familiar with the murderer (laughs) was then acquitted of all charges 
<laughs> yeah, and so he stopped being a monk, and then his next job was, I mean, this is Batty. He became this administrative officer for this powerful Count of Boulogne called Renaud de Damartin, and he was just kind of shuffling papers around. Yeah, but he'd be a handy guy to have on your side, wouldn't he? Oh, my God. I mean, totally. he's got the monk skills, yeah. and he's got the devil talking. He's a double threat, isn't he? <laughs> Invisible when he wants to be, you know, pretty, <laughs> pretty well-rounded guy. <laughs> yeah. Tough to beat in what an interview. LinkedIn profile he'd have had. <laughs> yeah. I guess my biggest weakness is that sometimes I'm too invisible. Um, But he didn't last in that job very long either And he was accused by the Count of embezzlement And fearing prison He then fled and began his next glorious career This time as a bandit And this is where his story does get a little bit fanciful at this point And I think that the uh, folks At this point? I mean, yeah, (laughs) right, true Um, But I think that that the uh, chroniclers uh, at, at this stage started to Um, use their creative license a bit because apparently quite a lot of his uh, robberies were pursuing his vendetta against the count who had fired him and to do so Mm. he'd like dress up as a leper with a a kind of bell and trick the count into giving him money before you know ripping off his costume and and riding (laughs) off on his horse (laughs) Uh, or you know dressing up as a beggar. I can see why this story hasn't been dramatised because it's very hard to know whether you support him or find him objectionable. Oh man I mean he also did less fanciful things like apparently cut off his opponent's feet. Word of his brigandry apparently sort of spread across the continent and got as far as to the English king, King John. Also, not necessarily a sympathetic character. I'll give you a contemporary account of King John from a fellow monk in the 13th century. (laughs) Foul as it is, hell itself is defiled by the fouler presence of John. Whoa. (laughs) Again, a monk wrote that. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) So he wasn't a popular king. Also, the the bad guy in the Robin Hood stories. So that's a weird kind of double, you know, that now the Robin Hood character is going into cahoots with the the evil king. So potted, potted history, because it's complicated this, isn't it? Because the boundary between France and England was changing all the time back then. So when we talk about the French and the English, not necessarily where you're thinking and who they are, but... He had become king after his older brother, Richard I, he was the Lionheart one, died. And then basically he squandered all of the French land that the English had spent the last hundred years building up. And so the public basically hated him because they thought that he dishonoured his father and his brother. But also then to try and get the French land back, he astronomically raised taxes on the English to pay for his war effort. And old Eustace was part of that effort. Uh, Apparently King John had heard that he was a bit of a kind of... Uh, multi-talented guy. But one of the things that he was good at was being a ship's captain. And so John gave him 30 galleys to command, which he then used to become... A starter fleet. A a starter (laughs) fleet. Yeah, just, you know, here's 30. See what you can make of it. (laughs) And this is something that would go on for hundreds of years, isn't it? I mean, I remember hearing about this, you know, in Elizabethan times, how the monarchs would basically just give certain people a license to be a pirate as long as you were pirating the right countries. And so he was just given free reign then to attack French ships and obviously became uh, very disliked. So legend has it that what happened was his old enemy, the Count of Boulogne, switched sides. Like As you were saying, Ollie, there wasn't really much of a division between France and England then. It was more about, you know, which princes would ally with who. And so when Eustace found out that his old enemy had allied with King John, he decided to switch sides again, which is pretty easy to do when you're working in the channel. I guess you just turn the boats in the opposite direction. Allied <laughs> himself with the French king and obviously then was completely loathed and despised by the English because he used all his knowledge 
of their doings against them. I think even during his piracy era, he went a bit wayward. And it was at that point that he had already started raiding here and raiding there, not just the French side of the channel, but also on the English side. So he was fairly well disliked already, even before he fell out with King John, who also had another reason to have a beef with him, which was that he apparently owed him money and had failed to repay it, for which the king imprisoned Eustace's wife and daughter, who both lived on the English side of the channel, and had his daughter eventually this is a quotation from one of the chroniclers, burned, disfigured, and then killed. So their friendship had really taken a a sour turn. (laughs) If someone does that to your wife and daughter, they're not your real friend. (laughs) And really, it's at that point that we arrive back at the start of our narrative. All catches up with him, doesn't it? Eustace was supporting Prince Louis, who actually did physically invade Britain to take over mm. from King John. I didn't realise they were actually so on English soil. you did it then, soil. Rebecca, if you wanted to be king. You couldn't just say it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you had to turn up in a boat with a load of people and spikes. So Prince Louis actually got himself cornered in January 2017. He was trapped on the East Sussex coast, hemmed in, and apparently Eustace successfully managed to break through the English blockade, pick him up and whisk him back to France. So he was riding pretty high. He was an admiral in the French fleet at this point, which is crazy because he was also like an evil wizard pirate. But, you know, I guess you take the best man for the job Uh, and that's when he ended up being captured apparently the english when they approached the french fleet they threw pots of ground lime at the french ships to blind the sailors so they could clamber on board what a great well we say great and what an effective (laughs) military technique for the time because it's still the case, isn't it? Like, if you open a packet of lime on a building site, it's very clear. Do not put it in your eyes. Can have long-lasting effects. It did make me think of, you know, the bit in The Big Lebowski where they try and scatter the ashes and they all blow back on them. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you've got to be quite close to the enemy ship. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there's not that much contemporary detail, is there? So a poem from the time recounts his death thus. There was one there named Stephen of Winchelsea who recalled to him the hardships which he had caused them both upon land and sea and who gave him the choice of having his head cut off, either upon the trebuchet or upon the rail of the ship. Then he cut off his head. I mean, I know that it was expensive then to add extra words, but I feel like there's some drama there that we really could have done with knowing a few more details about. You know, the bit where maybe he's deciding how he's going to die or pleading with his life. I'd like to know a bit more about that. Tomorrow. Best Japanese invention of the 20th century, beating karaoke into second place. Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors.